everyone. Welcome to Jalo Month Club. I'm your host, Diana Koch. On this episode, we are reviewing 1977's Watch Me When I Kill. When a pharmacist is murdered and a woman happens to hear the culprit at the scene of the crime, she soon finds herself being stalked by our killer. Her friend tries to identify the murderer and stop him, but discovers there might be something more to our killer's motive. My guest for this episode is a frequent contributor to Jalo the Month Club. It's been a few episodes since he's been on the podcast. He's a musician, filmmaker, fellow podcaster. Welcome back to Jalo the Month Club, Wade Brown! I'm back. I am back in action for another Jalo. It's been August? Since August, I think? It's been like three or four episodes. <sighs> I feel like... I feel like... I've I'm an old man now. I have brain. <laughs> it's it's been, been years. It's been years since I've been on that Gerald Month Club. What's new with you? I it's that time of the year where it's almost the top ten of the year, and now I'm like making the list of I, what movies I have to watch. I still haven't watched a lot of movies. Still haven't watched Fresh. That came out like February. Yeah, I haven't watched like. Bodies, bodies, bodies. I haven't watched a lot of stuff. I haven't watched Smile. I haven't watched all these movies. I'm glad I took next week off for Thanksgiving. So yeah. I can so watch don't the don't feel too bad. I also still need to watch Smile, but you can watch it on Paramount Plus. I know. Yeah. My, so my girlfriend has been like, we gotta watch Smile. We yeah. gotta watch it. And also, she wants to see Don't Worry, Darling. Boo. Which I heard. Boo. She's only for the drama because you know Florence Pugh is just. Goddess. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Her back must hurt from keeping that movie on it. <laughs> <laughs> Have you watched it? Yes, I watched it. I watched <laughs> it the day it came out because oh! I was like, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to see this in theaters because I heard it's so bad, and also I don't particularly care for Olivia Wilde, but I support Florence Pugh. Yeah. Again, much like Halloween ends, I am glad that I watched it in the comfort of my own home and not in a theater. You see, I didn't watch Halloween ends in the comfort of my own home. I saw in the theater, and it was the one of the worst theater experiences of my life. I still think Lords of Salem is the worst movie I've seen in a theater. Halloween ends the second. I'm sorry to your friend Dylan, but <laughs> Dylan. Really, sorry, Dylan. <laughs> really, really, that movie was hot I think- garbage. I think maybe instead of at the top of the episode asking my guests what they've been watching, I should start asking their opinion on Halloween Ends. It's almost like, who did you vote for kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you judge your friendships off of, did you like Halloween Ends? I'll respect you if you're like, it has problems. Okay. But come on. That's a lot of problems. You don't do that on the third movie of a fan. Now, yeah, of Corey was a character in the first movie, and then it gets a little dark in the second movie. And then, you see that, there we go. That You're cooking with um, fire. You're cooking <laughs> with gasoline. You're, you got it. Now we're just going to cram it. It's like The Rise of Skywalker, but for horror. Have you been watching anything else? Not a lot of movies, because um, Christy and I have been... Watching trash TV, we've been watching Floribama Shore. <laughs> okay. Which is surprising. These people are more toxic than the Jersey Shore cast. Shocking. Next is going to be the Jersey Shore family vacation. Because, of course. Um, and also Love is Blind. Because we just love trash, I think. Um, 
But for movies, I've been watching. Uh, I really liked Deadstream. Thought that was really fun. That was fun. It was fun. On Shutter. It, it felt fresh. Fresh. It felt. I mean, the character is like the main character is kind of like unlikable. Yeah, he's just he's, an idiot. But he's so funny when he gets through all this stuff. That's like it makes it entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, I also saw Barbarian. Mm-hmm. Which it's someone says like the malignant of this year. <laughs> yeah, it's not cr- as crazy as malignant is as that that the jail scene. The jail scene. <clears throat> but if you never, if you don't know anything about Barbarian, go into it blind, completely blind. Don't even look it up. Streaming on HBO Max. HBO Max. It was a great time. Uh, Justin Longman. He does whatever in horror. I like him. I know. It's just one of those things like Tusk, he turns into a walrus. Yeah, he's just spoiler. in it. And, and then Barbarian, well, speeding time. Yikes. I, I respect him for that. I respect him for putting himself in those situations. <laughs> and also, there's a Skarsgård in it. Oh, yeah. There's definitely a Skarsgård. <laughs> uh, speaking of Skarsgård, I've been re-wa- I rewatched The Northmen mm. uh, because I've been playing God of War because the God of War from 2018... They moved from the Greek uh, gods, now they're in the Norse gods. Okay. And a new one, God of War Ragnarok, came out last week. Alexander Skarsgård is in that, no. I guess, because no. he's, a, he's a, a god. No, but it's like, I've just been into a very Norse mythology kind of vibe. <laughs> and I guess the last thing I watched was, for Shudder, they had that 101 horror movies. Oh, I haven't watched any of that yet. <clears throat> I'm just going to say it. Sinister in the top ten, come. But Would there's you- a lot of movies that are like, oh. Okay. Okay. I fast forward through a lot of them because Christy is, Christy's never seen John John Carpenter's The Thing. Ooh. Which is my good. favorite. And so I'm like, I gotta fast forward so we don't spoil, spoil it. anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we all know it's the defibrillator scene. And we cannot spoil the defibrillator scene. No. At all. So. No. That's all I've been really watching. When I get home from work, I don't really want to watch a movie that I should turn on Bar Rescue. Yeah, I've been crazy busy lately. I'm hoping... <laughs> I was about to say, I'm hoping as the holidays come up, come up it's going to be less busy, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, we're going to be crunching to watch movies for our top 10 episode. Oh so God. you'll be back on next month. <laughs> oh, also, one thing I've been watching, um, there's a sequel to WNUF Halloween special. Check it out. Search Chris Law Martino on Twitter, and he'll give you all the deets on that because it's super fun. I saw it at, uh, what's it called, Flagship Cinema? Yeah, and East Point. Baltimore, yeah, which I did Baltimore not know. County. They have a whole corner of that theater. Mm-hmm. It's like super swanky and super like. Yeah, they oh, do. Bougie. They do live events there. Like there's comedians that show up. I was and... trying to see the Edgar Allan Poe show, but like how October just flew by. Yeah, I haven't been watching a ton of movies. I feel like I say that every episode, and <laughs> one day I will not say that. I did see A24's After Sun, which know what that is. is it's a father-daughter, uh, kind of, like, moment in time. It's set in the 90s, and there's some, like, camcorder footage, and then it, there's flashes to present day. But I would recommend it. It has Paul Mescal from Normal People in it, and that's the, that was the main draw for me, is that I really like him. And the last movie that he was in that I saw I didn't care for, it was Lost Daughter. Uh, last year. I think I saw I that normal, last year. I don't even know what Normal People is. It's a TV show. 
I'm, I'm behind on what we're doing to Shadow still. So I, I think normal. I think normal people is on Hulu. Paul Mescal, love him. He's in a bunch of stuff coming up that I'm really excited about. Do you know who Phoebe Bridgers is? Yes. Okay. The singer, yeah. So he's engaged to Phoebe Bridgers. Oh, that's cute. So that's her bill, and she's his bill. And it's cute. They're a very cute couple. And then I watched Micah Monroe in Significant Other. Oh, I've heard of on, this on one. Paramount Plus. You gotta watch that one. Yeah. It's wacky. It's short too, so it's it's not gonna take up a ton of your time. I would watch it before your year end, mostly because it has Michael Monroe in it. Like, we have to watch her films. Did you watch Watcher yet? I have not. It's on my list. Okay. That's on Shudder. Do, yeah. Do a Michael Monroe double feature. Do Watcher and Significant Other. I also want to see, was it, you saw on Fantastic Fest, was it Banshees of Insurance? Yeah. Oh, that's good. I want to see it. It's in the theater. And I'm like, I'm going to miss it. Maybe I'll, I'm off next week. Maybe Hopefully it's in the theater. I'm going to watch it because I really want to watch it. Something else that I would definitely suggest that you watch is the menu that's coming out at, like as of today of us recording this podcast. Uh, Christy, uh, we always do like a Thanksgiving movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year we did House of Gucci, which was awful, terrible movie. But the menu, I was like, yeah. I was pitching the menu. We should watch that. Do the menu, and if you actually have time, drive to like DC or Northern Virginia and go to the Alamo Draft House and see it because they'll have a, a custom menu for the film. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's two Alamo Draft House in DC now. Yeah, yeah you've, and, you've hyped up yeah, the yeah. menu probably because I get to enjoy. Um, but I'm like, it looks fun. Go see the menu for sure. So this episode was a listener pick. Thanks to everyone on Instagram who voted. With that said, neither of the American covers for Watch Me When I Kill have really anything to do with the film. In fact, the killer pictured on both of the covers isn't at all what they look like, and the blonde woman who the killer is grabbing on the covers isn't even in the movie. So if you vote it based only on the promotional art, uh, you might be a little disappointed in this one. Oh my god, was there even a blonde woman? Yeah, there's two different okay, different covers yeah, yeah, where it makes yeah. it look more slashy. No, I'm in the movie. Oh no, not in the movie. No, no, no. Yeah, that's no. all I'm saying. Also, fun fact: before it was a listener poll, you sent me like letterbox stuff, and I picked like six of them, and then you did a little mm-hmm. thing, and I did it based on the cover. So this movie tricked me with the cover. Yeah, <laughs> I think it tricked a lot of people. This episode will contain spoilers. You can watch. Watch Me When I Kill on Shudder and Tubi. I watched it on Shudder, Shudder version. I watched the Shudder version okay. as well. So, if you have Tubi, I don't know if that version's any bad. I don't know. It was dubbed on Shudder. Oh, so it was not dubbed on Tubi? I did not check Tubi, but if you're concerned with it being dubbed, it is dubbed on Shudder. You'll find out. <laughs> Tubi continued. No. All right, guys. Uh, this is Diana. I'm signing off. Talk Bye. to you next time. <laughs> directed by Antonio Beto, who also directed The Bloodstained Shadow. Watch Me When I Kill revolves around a cabaret dancer named Mara, who becomes the target of a killer when she accidentally hears his voice after the murder of a pharmacist. After a lucky escape in which a neighbor's dog causes the killer to flee from her house, Mara decides to move in with her friend and ex-lover, Lucas. Through nothing but sheer coincidence, 
Mara is attacked in the underground car park where Lucas's neighbor, Giovanni, seems to have been the intended target. Lucas, a music producer, decides to investigate when he realizes Mara is in danger. He soon comes to find that the victims all seem to be connected. Just as Lucas thinks he has it all figured out, he finds himself back at square one, with the killer even closer to completing his task. Watch Me When I Kill contains such jollo tropes as creepy phone calls, a trench coat wearing killer, and an amateur sleuth. As usual, the police are totally useless. Also bad hair. Ooh. There's a lot of bad hair in this one. Yeah, it wasn't styled very Especially very was nice. it was named Brazi or whatever. Bozzy. Bozzy. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Just shave your head, dude. <laughs> Lucas acts like a police inspector, asking everyone questions and gathering clues. He deduces that a red herring couldn't possibly be the killer because he is left-handed, based on how two coffee cups are positioned on a table. Uh, much like that clue that he found, there are many huge leaps in logic in this one. Yeah. Oh, speaking of the red herring, remember he shows up and that's it? He shows up and then he's on Team Lucas. Yeah. And that's it. At the end? Yeah. And you're just, oh, oh, okay. He's just hiding in his house. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) whatever that was. We'll talk more about that. Yeah, I was very kind of confused on that whole plot line, but okay. Yeah. (laughs) Featuring the giallo element of animal motifs with alternate titles and quick cuts of cat eyes during murder scenes, the film was also released as The Cat's Victims, The Jade-Eyed Cat, The Cat with the Jaded Eyes, Terror in the Lagoon, and The Vote of Death. Terror in the Lagoon is my favorite one. Was there even a lagoon? Uh, oh, there was. There When they went to the waterfall? Yeah, they went to the waterfall. There we go. That's something, yeah. <laughs> For that five minutes. <laughs> With our red herring of well, the that, escaped convict. It's been a couple days since I've seen the movie. Was there a cat? I know we do the quick cuts before a kill, but was there an actual cat? In the picture of the family, oh. the girl, little girl was holding a stuffed animal cat. Oh, okay. <laughs> the groan and rolling of the eyes happening <laughs> right now. The film was released in Italy in the summer of 1977. It received a theatrical release in the U.S. in September 1982 by the short-lived American independent film distributor, Cobra Media. The American prints of this film include a newly shot opening credit sequence that was filmed in the U.S., slightly different from other versions. The founder of Cobra Media, Herman Cohen, then slapped his name on the promotional posters and prints, taking credit for producing this film, even though he had nothing to do with making it. Classic move. Classic Herman. (laughs) Oh, Herman, never learned. So this was a hard turn for the Herman Cohen that people knew and loved, He began a successful career in the 1950s with I Was a Teenage Werewolf, which he wrote and produced. That film cost about $100,000 to make, but earned more than $2 million. So it was huge. He also discovered a young Michael Landon and cast him in the lead role for I Was a Teenage Werewolf. 
Then in the 1960s and 70s, Cohen began producing horror films in the United Kingdom, and he eventually found it Cobra Media in 1981. The first VHS tape of Watch Me When I Kill was released by Thorn EMI Video with edited theatrical print, fake credits, and missing the footage of Esmeralda getting stabbed in the mouth, which can be seen in the Italian cut. It added some fake stuff and removed <laughs> some other <laughs> stuff. Don't quite know the reasoning for that. All of the different cuts and versions of this film only add to the confusion. The movie itself is a bit convoluted, so I'd love to hit on all of the high notes on this one. Yes, I agree. With a 110-minute runtime, there are four kills by our killer. This equals roughly one kill every 27 minutes, so there's not much blood and gore in this one. Oh, it felt like it was one every 27 minutes. Yes, it it drags. (laughs) It it does drag. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's almost a two-hour movie, but it is very slowly paced. It's... I I saw some people compare it to Deep Red. Mm Mm-hmm. Deep Red, it it takes its time, Mm -hmm. but... There's a lot more sprinkled into it. Well, really? I mean, I think, like, the music reminded me of Goblin's Deep Red, but I I don't think... I was going to make a note about the music. The music is very Goblin-esque. Even the main theme has a bass line that sounds just like Mm -hmm. Goblin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That sounds exactly like Goblin. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I forgot, I'm blanking on the actual song. I think it's the Deep Red yeah, song. It's from, yeah. yeah, the Deep Red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would not at all put this on the level of Deep Red, but, you know, to each their own. <laughs> it was not Deep Red. It was very shallow red. In the lagoon. In the lagoon. <laughs> red lagoon. The kill scenes are usually focused on the white surgical gloves of our killer, which that's kind of unique. You don't typically see uh, white surgical gloves. It's more like the black leather gloves. Um, There are also two kills slash deaths after our killer is revealed. So there's four by our actual killer, and then there's two post-reveal. Let's just do the reveal, and then we can discuss the kills, which I think are like the high point of this one. Oh, the kills are definitely the high point of this film. Alright, so a little plot synopsis kind of leading into, you know, this reveal. We have a young dancer named Mara arrives at a pharmacy moments after the murder of the pharmacist inside, but the killer prevents her from accessing the pharmacy by holding the door shut. Fearing that she knows too much, the perpetrator soon makes an attempt on her life, causing her to move in with her friend Lucas for protection. Several other people begin turning up dead. An escaped murderer seems to be the most likely suspect since most of the victims were jurors at his murder trial. All yeah. of those people were handpicked to be. Yeah. For, it's a, for a different Yeah, for a different reason. And then eventually a trail of clues leads back to World War II and events involving a group of Nazi collaborators. Yeah. It took a jump. Mm-hmm. Also, I forgot the guy's name was Lucas. I was calling him Italian Ringo Starr, because he comments like Ringo Starr when Ringo Starr had facial hair. Like, maybe, he still has facial hair, he's in the 80s, but like, probably 70s Ringo Starr. He just has like, it's, 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 the, it's the nose. Okay. I don't know, I didn't really think he really, he didn't really remind me of anyone. 
So our first kill is this older pharmacist, uh, Biagio Dezine. He gets a club to the head and his throat slit. His throat was cut. I want to say it was slit. It's like, <laughs> and then they start gushing yeah, blood. Yeah, yeah. What the? <laughs> I was like, is that it? The pharmacy owner is revealed to have been a friend of the Nazis and he was responsible for arresting an innocent family. He's tied to the eventual reveal of the killer. Uh, The killer decides to go after Mara because she heard his voice through the door after he killed the pharmacist. The next kill we have is Esmeralda. Probably the most brutal, I think it's the most brutal kill of the movie. Yeah, she just had a bad dinner. (laughs) Esmeralda was killed in the kitchen. The killer burns her face in a frying pan of hot stew. With no seasoning on it. It was bland. I mean, that's what she gets. She should have put a little... Yeah, you, some, you herbs, gotta, you gotta some herbs and spices in that. A little paprika in that thing. <laughs> a little black pepper. Come on. Before stabbing her with a cooking fork. Oof. It's eventually revealed that Esmeralda, who is Bozzy, who you mentioned earlier, Lucas's neighbor. Yeah, the old um, man from those Pixar shorts where he's playing chess. That's what I look like. Ebenezer Scrooge over there. <laughs> he definitely probably sleeps with like the little the sleeping oh, cat. And a little gown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. He has like a little candle. <laughs> so Esmeralda is Bozzy's mistress who apparently convinced him to betray the aforementioned family. All of these kills are connected. Maybe. Killed off screen, we have Marco, whose throat was cut. Oh, no, no, no. That was actually a slit. Okay. Slit. (laughs) He was dead. With Switchblade and is later found by Mara, Marco interrupted the killer who was stalking Mara. So he kind of got into the middle. So he didn't really have anything to do with the the family or the World War II or the events involving Nazi collaborators. He just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. Damn, Marco. And then our fourth kill is Ebenezer Scrooge himself, Giovanni Bazzi. Now that was that was a brutal scene. Yeah, like he he just kept getting choked. I had a long blink, and when I opened my eyes, he was naked in that tub. That was such the odd. I wrote my notes. Let me write my where's my notes here. Um, did we need him cleaning in a bathtub? Did we need that scene? We need a little skin in the scene. Because not many, there's no naked women at all. No, no, no. You need some sort of skin to be a Jalo. And he you was would, the skin. And, and you would also think the bluest water I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. There must be food coloring in that. It know. has to be. Again, based on this cover art, you would think it was going to be a dirty, smutty, sexualized slasher Jalo. It was because he was the sexual. <laughs> he <figure>. was the <laughs> sexual. He was the sex appeal of this movie. So Giovanni Bazzi. Lucas's neighbor, old guy in the bathtub, he's strangled with the shower head. Also, before he's murdered, he's receiving multiple harassing phone calls from the killer that are followed by a tape recording of Dobermans barking, sirens going off, and German men shouting. Oh, you know who was calling him, right? Who? It was the three Christmas ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> Probably my best joke on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. For this movie. (laughs) Opera music is played over his murder, and scenes leading up to other murders have that goblin 
baseline. Uh, that's the only one that has like a, I forget it is. I forget what song it is. It's like a classical piece. I forget what it is, but it's iconic. You've heard it before. And this brings us to the reveal. Lucas travels to Bozzi's old home to find out about the Jewish family he took in. He sees a family photo, which was connected to the previous murder scenes. Well, we, I don't think we mentioned it. At the scene of each of these crimes, there was photo pieces cut out. And that was a part of the, the mystery. Lucas ends up meeting one of Bozzi's relatives, who explains who the family was and what happened to them. However, it's all done off screen as it cuts away to Mara. So it's... I don't know, maybe that's that just wasn't... That's one of the most important things. Yeah. To not do off camera. It seems to really discredit yeah. a lot of what's being said. It could have had a lot more impact. Yeah, especially since yeah. it's the whole plot reveal. Yeah, it's the whole reveal. Carlo, who is Mara's script writer, calls Mara at Luca's villa in an attempt to lure her out, but it backfires as she ends up being able to match his voice to the one on the tapes. This, along with him knowing how to contact her at a private villa, allows Mara to piece together that he, Carlo, is the killer. <gasps> Just out of nowhere. Yeah. And he's the script writer. He's the <laughs> And he, <laughs> I guess he wrote that one. Carlo is revealed to be the killer and the little boy in the photo in Bozzi's house. Judge Pastori is revealed to be Carlo's father and the patriarch of the Jewish family that Bozzi took in. So there's a judge who was connected to the big red herring of the film, the escaped convict. The judge made all of the people that were victims be on a jury together. It was very elaborate. The judge was doing a little collusion. There's the judge, the jury, and the executioner. Mm, Carlo. Hmm. So, oh, yeah. So we talking about the red herring showing up. Yeah, I mentioned earlier the red herring shows up and saves Mara. Mm, mm-hmm. And then Carlo gets Mara? Am I, am I totally, like, blanking on these characters now? At, at the reveal, the office... Yeah, I don't really remember. Yeah, was that? During the Holocaust, Judge Pastore hid his family in a house belonging to Bozzi and Esmeralda. Through unspecified means, they were captured by the Nazis and put into a concentration camp. While his mother and sister perished, Carlo somehow survived and escaped. Scarred by the memories and believing that his family was murdered, Carlo seeked revenge on those he felt were responsible for their capture. This leads us to a standoff at the judge's office yeah. with the judge, Carlo, Lucas, and Mara? I think it was Mara. And Mara's there? Yeah. I got lost. She doesn't have much of a screen presence. I'm like, was Mara there? Yeah. Um, yeah, Mara was there. So Carlo tells his father that Lucas and Mara can't go on and tries to convince him to shoot them because the judge has a gun. Upon realizing that Carlo has gone too far, Judge Pastore shoots him with a pistol, shedding a tear while doing so. Afterwards, the judge uses the same pistol to kill himself. And then his head hits that desk and credits. Uh, yeah, freeze yeah. frame, credits. Also, okay, some of the best opening 
end closing credits. Yeah. The opening credits was that weird, like, kind of like sing along thing. It showed that this Briachi guy shows up. Like, whoa, what is this? Got to just saw someone get killed. It's just some weird musical dance thing. And this one's just it's like cabaret. Cabaret. It's just like, <laughs> and then this, and then the ending is his dead old face. And that's the credits. Yeah. Well, and I don't know. I thought this movie was fine. No offense to the film. There's probably someone that loves this film. I think it's very middle of the pack. Of sh- of, I'm comparing it on Jalo films I've seen. Also, on, I've probably seen more Jalo films for the show than I had outside of the show. Um, it's very middle of the road. I probably won't remember much of it. Yeah. I mean, we just, I just had to be like, was Mara there? We just watched, we both watched it this week. (laughs) I remember the kills. I remember some of the score, but I remember the score being like, it's like Goblin. But it's like, I'd rather have Goblin than like Goblin. Same. Yeah. I agree with a lot of what you said. As a Jalo movie, this film is pretty weak and not very memorable. But it's not without its charms and just plain like weird sequences. And I think the kills are, again, the kills are pretty memorable. A huge problem with this film is that you can clearly see who the killer is <laughs> during the shot of him wearing a black veil. That's a problem that I had with the last film reviewed on Jolly Month Club, Dark Glasses, is that the killer was just straight up revealed 50 minutes into the movie. Yeah. So, like, this one, if you're paying attention, like, you can see who the killer was just yeah. based on this one shot. Oh, yeah, Dark Glasses was last. That's cool. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's yeah. better than this one. I'll say this. For my notes on Dark Glasses is, for late Argento, it could have been worse. Could have been Dracula 3D. <laughs> or a card player. So seeing the killer's face destroys most of the mystery, but if you miss that sequence, you likely will enjoy this movie more. The motive of our killer is a profound one, but I don't think the film does it justice. Despite being a serial killer willing to murder anyone to cover his tracks, it's hard not to feel bad for Carlo as he was a Holocaust survivor who likely watched his mother and sister perish in front of him as a child. All he really wanted to do was kill anyone that he blamed for his family's death. The reveal and motive ended up feeling rushed, which is a shame. Doesn't have as much of an impact as I would would have liked Yeah, when you think Jalo, you know... I don't think I've seen much Jala involves, like, Nazis, which is, you know, because Italy had a big part of you know, the Axis powers and stuff like that. You don't see much of that. If they would have really dived into it and gave it time, they spent a lot of time on nothing, they could have got something a little more deep out of it. Yeah, I'd be really interested in seeking out some Jalo that does focus more on, like, I mean, the tone would be super different. So if it's a Jalo that's focusing more on real-life events, like the Holocaust and Nazi collaborators, it's going to be a downer of a movie, for sure. But I'm definitely interested in seeking out something that's more tastefully done and more respectful. Yeah. Um, In the rather large canon of Jalo films, this one can be considered a minor entry. It's very middle ground, middle of the road, like you said. The exotic scenery in the later half of the film and some of the more sadistic killings make this not a total loss, but just don't expect to be completely wowed by this film. Yeah. Wade, this is a 
relaxed fit wild card episode of flavor of the month. So we're going back to basics. Flavor of the month originated as a double feature, a pairing, music, books, art, movies, something that would pair well with our Jalo of the month. What do you have for the listeners? It was tough. It's real tough to find like a common thread, but there's a lot of stuff like the voice and uh, him constantly listening to the recordings and recordings. I my pick is by uh, is a film by Brian De Palma called Blowout because it's all about John Travolta. He hears that sound and so it becomes an obsession. Other movies like con- the Conversations, another the Conversation. There you go, um, Francis Ford Coppola. Great, those two movies be great for like that idea of like figuring out the mystery. It ain't going to tie in with much of the movie because it goes many directions. None of them really go land those directions, but I say those two movies are good flavors in the mall. I am a big Brian De Palma fan, so of course I always enjoy when something suggests it. We've done a Brian De Palma film. Just the Kill. Just the Kill, yeah. That's a good Jalo. Yeah, so there we go. <laughs> There we go. Like, uh, if you, like, after watching this movie, Sandwich this in between two De Palmas? Yeah. Cool. In between two De Palmas. <laughs> That's the sequel to the De Palma documentary. <laughs> With this wildcard flavor of the month, I am going to suggest Wes Craven's The Last House on the Left from 1972. Ooh. I'm sure there are many more gritty revenge films that I could suggest. But that one always stands out to me, as you know, and I'm sure listeners know I'm a huge Wes Craven fan. But I think this film is one of the more notable revenge films. And Watch Me When I Kill ultimately ends up being about revenge. Yeah. I think The Last House on the Left would make a nice double feature and balance out the more subdued qualities of this Jalo. And you can watch The Last House on the Left on Tubi, Canopy, and Hoopla. Hell yeah. Hoopla! Do you have anything that you would like to plug or promote on this month's episode? Of course. You can also you can check out uh, the new short film I did, Butterfly Black Velvet. We have DVDs for sale. You can DM me on Instagram, Suede Guy. That's my Instagram. Or you can find us. I also put it on my band's band camp, where We have it right there, too. In case you don't want to give out your address to the people <laughs> you don't know, you can follow me on Letterbox, Suede MCP, especially now because I will be definitely logging some movies in the next two months. So you can see what I've been watching. Mickey Dish Productions, YouTube, youtube.com slash Mickey Dish Productions. We're doing a lot of uh, Criterion film still. The last one, I think. Most recent one we've done is Lost Highway, mm. which released on, it's so good, it's based on Blu ray. 4K Blu-ray, so good. But other movies, we're going to do Planes, Trains, Automobiles for Thanksgiving, which has already aired as of this, as of this uh, recording. We're going to do some Christmas stuff, too. I think yes. we're doing Christmas Vacation 2, which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. But we're going to do that. We're going to do the new Christmas story movie, Ralphie. They're doing a new, a new movie about that. Oh, is that a streaming? Straight to streaming? I think so. So we're going to watch that for YouTube. And the last thing I'm going to plug is... My girlfriend has uh, collage art, Summer Gale collages. Check it out. You know, she's very, she's very novice. She's not novice. She's very, like, uh, you know, 
I think she's super talented and she feels like she could be better and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, she's super talented. Go check it out. If you like collages, magazine collages, all kinds of stuff. She's very humble, but they're cool collages. So that's she should be humble. very, she should be very proud of herself. They're humble. Cool for humble. Sure. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> it's almost like your podcast host or something. <laughs> so speaking of other people being creative. The creators of Cinephilic Card Game have come out with My First Jalo Horror, part of an all-new series of picture books that offer a colorful, kid-friendly look at your favorite film eras. Within this delightful new book for cinephiles of all ages, you'll find a tongue-in-cheek tribute to the works of Sergio Martino, Dario Argento, Mario Bava, and other masters of Italian cinema. You can pre-order your very own My First Jalo Horror by visiting lilcinephile.com Jalo Month Club is now in Letterboxd. Follow the list titled Jalo the Month Club for every movie reviewed on this podcast, including this one. Uh, I post my star rating. I post a link to the episode. I post a little blurb of a review. But follow it so you can see how many movies that you've watched that have been reviewed on this podcast. Yes, and if you also want to have a... If you like doing that stuff, you like that nerdy stuff, you can go on Mint Condition Productions on this letterbox. We, I have a list of all the Criterion Connection movies. We're over 200. There you go. You that's that. more That's more than the episodes of this podcast. And if you want a little less <laughs> B-movie den, we do a lot, a lot of other ones, too. Oh, speaking of B-movies, I watched Death Spa. It goes in a direction that you wouldn't think based, again, another like misleading promotional art. You can also follow Jalo Month Club on Twitter and Instagram on Jalo Club. The podcast logo design is by Vegan Patches on Instagram. You can find Vegan Patches Etsy shop at Retirement Funds. Theme music is by Dream Division. If you like this intro and outro music that you hear and you like some synthy goodness, you can find Dream Division's music on Instagram at Dream Division Music and on Bandcamp at dreamdivision.bandcamp.com. And you can follow myself, Diana, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at DianaNK. Pro tip, if you follow me on Letterboxd, you will likely know which movie is being reviewed for the next episode because I always log it when I watch it. Which means if you follow her or me, if I know I follow you because I'm not on every episode, follow you... You, you get the heads up, yeah, you, you can, can watch. watch the movie, yeah. you can be prepared for all these spoilers that we do, and then maybe you can make a little bit more sense out of films like Watch Me When I Kill. Yeah. I will say this about Watch Me When I Kill. It is better than Halloween Ends. That is the <laughs> scale I am going on by. So Is that also what I have to ask at the end of the episode? Do you think this movie is better than Halloween Ends? <laughs> uh, yeah, like I recently watched a movie called Loser with Jason Biggs. That movie is not good. It's better than Halloween Ends. Wow. That movie is not good. There's a weird, I don't know if you've ever seen Loser. Yeah, like when it came out in yeah. like, like early 2000s. There's a weird roofie subplot. I don't get it. Why'd you put that there? 2000. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another exciting episode of Jolly of the Month Club. As always, I'm your host, Diana Koch. And I'm Wade Brown from Mythic Dish Production.